Hello and welcome to Dementia is Global. I'm Fanula Sweeney. According to the World Alzheimer Report in 2018, about 50 million people are living with dementia around the world. By 2050, that number is expected to triple to 152 million. The Global Brain Health Institute works to reduce the scale and impact of dementia and protect the world's ageing population from threats to brain health. Based at both University of California, San Francisco and Trinity College, Dublin, GBHI trains and connects the next generation of leaders in brain health through the Atlantic Fellows for Equity and Brain Health Programme. Dr. Maria Carrillo is Chief Science Officer with the Alzheimer's Association in the United States. The organisation has close links with the Global Brain Health Institute. I began by asking Maria about the work she does as Chief Science Officer with the Alzheimer's Association. As Chief Science Officer for the Alzheimer's Association, I represent the international arm of the organization. We have two basic things. The first is to convene the international community, and the second is to fund it. In convening, we have multiple platforms that we do that with. We run the largest international conference, AAIC. When we think about the convening, certainly in Chicago, we had almost 6,000 individuals come together for this international conversation. First, I'd say that the importance of that is that you're having real-time contributions and exchanges of information. So you're not waiting a year or more for that research to be published in a journal, which we also host. These real-time conversations create not only new ideas, but new opportunities for partnership, because we know that team science is so critical, especially team science that encourages international collaboration. We are also, I think, a scientific community that understands that we have met so many challenges, where it's been 15 years or more since we've had an FDA-approved drug for Alzheimer's dementia. It's much less for any other dementia. And so recognizing those challenges, I think, makes us more cohesive as a community because we know that only by working together can we advance a more effective treatment much sooner. And the question on everyone's lips is how soon or far away is a cure? Certainly the international community is recognizing that maybe this won't be a magic bullet and one pill for a cure. But we also are learning so much more about all of the different things that interact in the human brain as we age that contribute to even normal aging, but then also aging with a disease. That gives us hope because we can find new avenues for treatments, not only for Alzheimer's, but for related dementias. In addition to that, I have to say that lifestyle, it's finally having its day. Certainly European countries have been a little bit more forward thinking about lifestyle and its implications on brain health. In the United States, we have been pursuing much more the pharmaceutical therapeutic, but that is now changing. We in the United States and other countries are recognizing that risk reduction is indeed a viable way to move forward because we may actually have evidence of risk reduction for dementia sooner than we may a pharmaceutical. So that's why people think that the emphasis now is on prevention in a holistic way through lifestyle changes, for example. We must use the word prevention with a bit of a caveat. Prevention, according to the FDA, means that the disease never existed in the first place. So we think about this as risk reduction. For example, you reduce your cholesterol to reduce your risk of a heart attack. Use high blood pressure medications or exercise or eating differently in order to have a combination approach towards reducing your risk of a stroke. And so we may be able to now propose ideas and ways to change our lifestyle to reduce the risk of dementia or delay it 
And then hopefully we will have that pharmaceutical that can come in and help us so that we can attack this disease in that same combination as other diseases are now being successfully treated. Is it a general rule of thumb that what's good for the heart is good for the brain? I think that has been a general rule that we have talked about. Uh, Certainly the American Heart Association has been talking about that as well. But now in the past year, we have so much more research that has pointed to the fact that it's not only a general rule, now there's scientific evidence that this is the case. So the next step is let's figure out exactly what that recipe looks like. That's what I know the finger study is doing in Finland under the auspices of Mia Kivipelto and her team, and that we are trying to do with the U.S. pointer study in the United States, and that 15 other countries are trying to do because risk reduction has a very powerful message for us all about staying healthy. So really it's connecting the dots among the international research community so that the general public internationally will also have a greater sense of what exactly can be achieved, a sense of hope really. Absolutely. We know that regionally we are all going to be different. Our activities are different. The food that we eat is different. Exercise, for example, when I visited India, women don't exercise in public and they certainly don't exercise with men. So our activities have to be recommended for what is appropriate and possible locally. So that's why working together, we can advance faster, but also make sure that we are aware of the regional needs. You're talking really about a movement, not only of scientists, clinicians, researchers, but also activism in a way. I think this has turned into a movement. I love that word. I consider the Worldwide Fingers Consortium of 15 countries working on this a movement to understand that risk reduction is possible, and in many cases, and in many of our countries, may be the best way to actually move forward with dementia. Pharmaceutical therapies may be very expensive for many countries, including the United States. As a chief science officer, how do you deal with setbacks? Say, for example, you're following a trial and it's looking very hopeful. You walk into the office and get that email that says it hasn't worked out. How do you react? That certainly is something that's happened to us in this past year a few times. We as an organization respond, of course, with the appropriate disappointment because we all feel it. And we know that the leadership of the pharmaceutical companies all feel it as well. It impacts all of the participants that were a part of that study who are sometimes very depressed when they stop a trial or find it to be futile. We have to respond with the hope of what the future holds. We do have hope for therapeutics in the future. We do have hopes that biomarkers will help us create better therapeutics in a faster way to evaluate them. Again, the hope of lifestyle and what it can contribute is something we have to stress. Overarching all of that is the message that it makes our work every day more relevant and more important because we don't have that end anywhere near in sight. And that means that the Alzheimer's Association and organizations like ours around the world have to band even stronger and actually stay true to the course because only by working together will we get there. What drives you? When I go and stand in front of the Alzheimer's Association's International Conference and almost 6,000 people from around the world, I'll tell you that the feeling of hope is so different from other conferences that we attend. The reason why is that this one is led by a patient advocacy group. At the center of everything we do is thinking about a person who may be diagnosed today or might be diagnosed tomorrow. When I feel that power of all of our scientific community so hopeful, working together for a common cause, that cause keeps me going. It's not a question of 
if we will succeed. It's a question of when we will succeed. So there is hope for a cure, but the message would be, in the meantime, dementia prevention is the way to go. Risk reduction for brain health is going to be critical, and it can actually happen today. We're going to work hard to create that recipe that we can share with the rest of the public around the world. That is a huge message of hope. And there's an association with the Global Brain Health Institute, of course, Atlantic Fellows for Equity and Brain Health. What do you see is the productive value of that association? How does that impact the work that you do? The Alzheimer's Association is an international representative of the research and the care side for people with dementia and their care partners. But our work with the Global Brain Health Institute and the Atlantic Fellows for Health Equity have allowed us to take it one step further and to actually help fund projects that will create the leaders of the future in countries that we may not have touched before in the same way. Atlantic Philanthropies has created not only fellowships, but a community of international leaders. For us, partnering with them helps us advance our mission faster and allow the research that is so critical to be funded in those areas because together, leveraging those dollars, we can do more. So we're so excited and grateful to have that partnership, and we look forward to continuing that in the future. You say there are regional differences. So we're here in Sao Paulo at the moment. How could you generally describe the different emphases in different countries in the region here? Certainly Latin America has some common themes. The difference between city and rural living, literacy, for example, might be an issue for access to health. It might be an issue for a diagnosis. How do you make an appropriate diagnosis with a community that might have less literacy? There are issues such as risk factors that we inherit through genetics, and that depends on the region. Lifestyle and food intake looks very different. When we talk about lifestyle in Asia, there's a very high salt intake and a genetic predisposition for high blood pressure. When we talk about this in Latin America, salt may not be the biggest issue. It may be fast food or high fat or heart disease. Access to healthcare is also going to be different regionally. So these are just some examples on how we tailor the conversation for the different regions that we visit. We're talking about leadership in these countries and the approach to dementia. What does leadership mean to you? For us as an organization, we're looking to leadership to be that entity within a person that allows conversations to flourish around them and that brings people with them along the path so that we can all benefit from those conversations and the learnings and the opportunities that we create. That's true leadership. Leadership is giving. And that's what we're looking for. And I think that's what we're creating in a partnership with the Global Brain Health Institute. What would be your message to someone who is experiencing memory loss, hasn't received a diagnosis, or perhaps has received a diagnosis? When we think about someone who's maybe on the cusp or concerned about their memory, the first message would be, please see a medical practitioner, ideally a specialist if that is possible in the area and if there is access. There could be many causes for memory issues. Not all of them are related to dementia. Some of them may take you a different path, which could be nutritional or sleep deprivation or other medications that maybe one is taking. So it's important to get that medical attention. But if someone has experienced a recent diagnosis, it's important to understand that there is hope for the future. Lifestyle can actually improve quality of life even in a person that has already been diagnosed and actually potentially delaying cognitive decline. In some parts of the world, there's a stigma, and so people don't talk about dementia or a diagnosis. In your mind, it's better to get it out into the open and share with family and friends? 
I think there's a stigma in most countries, depending on the ethnic origin that you come from, because some families just have this as a part of their cultural experience. But families can help the person stay as active as possible, stay as safe as possible as the memory changes may progress. Maybe an opportunity, depending on where you live, to participate in a clinical study that may actually give you cutting-edge treatment. And then, of course, making those future determinants of how you want to live your life over the next years of being impacted by dementia is going to be a family conversation. So we always encourage that to happen as soon as possible. So if you have a diagnosis, take control. Absolutely. Because a diagnosis doesn't have to control you. You can control your future. Dr. Maria Carilla, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Maria Carrillo, Chief Science Officer with the Alzheimer's Association. For more information, you can visit www.alz.org or www.gbhi.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to Dementia is Global. <laughs>